to yet another episode of The Type Beam. You made it. We all made it to this, our episode covering episode six. <sighs> a little over halfway there, and we made it. I am joined, as always, by my wonderful co-hosts, Andrea and Fred. Andrea, how are you and our very special guest doing? Yeah, I was going to say, it's not just me and Fred this time. We have a special guest, uh, Gamora the cat. Gamora, do you want to go say hi? Oh my god, Fair. it worked! Thank you. <laughs> I was, because they were meowing Good earlier, girl. listeners. They were meowing for us earlier. I wasn't sure that was going to work, and it did. Stop squeezing the cat, make me out. It's not a squeaky toy? She's not a squeaky toy. <laughs> Oh, yes, we yeah. we are joined uh, by a special guest. <laughs> You're very good. You have a cat. She's a very Thanks. happy cat. Right the other now. one's hiding. She's like, I know they're going to squeeze me like a squeaky toy. So <laughs> yeah, goodbye. she sees how you're treating her sister. So she knows. Yes, Nebula decided to go the other way. <laughs> and Fred, I know you are catless right now, but how are you doing? Oh, I'm doing fantastic. Thank you very much. How are you? You know, I'm I'm all right. Everything's going great. It's a Sunday. I love Sundays. Feeling good. Looking good. You know, the huge. You're always looking good, Shannon. Thanks, Fred. I can always count on my co-host to say something affirming. <laughs> <laughs> and and I, I'm including the cats in that. Oh, see, I told you she would you say agree. something affirming. What a great cat. Um, but our, our show isn't about cats. Our show is about The Expanse. So, <laughs> but before we cut into The Expanse, a couple of quick things. As we said in our previous episode, there is now Type Beam merchandise. You can hop on over to Tee Public, search the Type Beam. There are easier ways to do this, but I like to say it this way because I like to make you work for it. Search the Type Beam. You'll find our show logo, a cool version of our show logo that allows you to put it on any color that Tee Public sells. You can get a coffee mug and drink coffee out of a Type B mug. I really want to do that. That's why I said that. But I have to save money, so I haven't done it yet. But you can get all kinds of things like clothes and buttons and stickers and wall art. <laughs> you could get you could get our logo on almost everything. So it's pretty great. Um, so head on over to Tee Public and get yourself some Type B merch. Any merchandise sold from the ra random chatter Tee Public account goes into uh, funding to run the random chatter network, like uh, server costs, et cetera, et cetera. So please help support us and the network by buying some Type B merchandise and showing it off at the next convention so I can be really proud of the logo I made. I really need you, you to tell be. me. That's a really good logo. Thank you. See, we're still affirming. I was literally about to say, please tell me my logo's good. <laughs> and I no, didn't no. even have to ask. I love you. I love you and your cats and Fred, but the cats. I know they're dumb. It's That's fine. Okay. <laughs> um, they're just cats. They're just cats. I know. They're, they're, they're okay. <laughs> they do their job. Um, or do they? They don't catch mice, do they? No. So they don't do their jobs. Um, they have a toy that looks like a mouse, 
and every single morning they bring it to me like hey i contributed to the pack oh okay good tell. all right well at least they catch fake mice that's fine yes so they 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 have the capability but not the resources gotcha not even the capability because <laughs> that mouse is not doing anything yeah fair fair um, also mentioned on the previous episode, because it's in the notes again for this episode, there is x-ray content, which is bonus content on Prime Video. You pause the episode, go up to your right-hand corner, you'll see x-ray view all, and you can see really cool stuff like script and visual effects breakdowns, in-show political ads written by Daniel Abraham, aka one half of James S.A. Corey, concept art for the show, and a very cute, very fun, very short expanse after show moderated by the body snatcher for steven Strait. so definitely check that out it's very fun very cool anything before we begin no no let's begin so today we're talking about the expanse episode six displacement now <laughs> the definition of displacement when you google it on the google apparatus is the moving of something from its place or position so you have the removal of someone or something by someone or something else, which takes their place. You have the enforced departure of people from their homes, typically because of war, persecution, or natural disaster, hint, hint, hint. And the amount by which a thing is moved from its normal position. So any thoughts on the title before we go into the episode? The only thing that really came to my mind when I heard the, the title Displacement is when you take a ship and you put it into water yes. and it floats, it actually displaces water. That, that's what was going through my mind, um, which I thought kind of made sense because of in this episode, we are getting a tidal wave uh, and a surge of water. So that kind of that's where my mind went. It's funny you should say that because because of that, I almost put it in the notes and then I was like, maybe not. And did not put it in the notes. So I'm glad you brought it up anyway. Cool. Because you have a point. There's um, a lot of water involved. I also think that displacement can also take a look at how the events in Ellis have just displaced a bunch of people. Mm. And they now have to move and go from their comfort zone to somewhere else to become safe. Well, not just that. Let's zoom out a little bit further. I like where you're going with it, Andrea. The belters that we have on New Terra are actually displaced from Ganymede. Mm -hmm. So they are already displaced and they're being displaced yet again from their new home mm -hmm. to um, some place where they could find safety and refuge to eventually needing to leave the planet. Mm -hmm. So very, very interesting. I think everyone feels a little displaced. In this one, you've got um, Drummer getting pressured by the UN. You've got Mars being, or on Mars, Bobby being displaced from her usual thing and going into a brand new kind of job. Job. Mm -hmm. um, that is very much not something she would have done before um, because she was already set adrift by what happened before the season started. And you've got literally just all of Illis. Just everything about Illis just makes me think of displacement. Everything. Holden and Amos are displaced from the Rossi and also their comfort zone of, like, just not getting involved fully unless they absolutely have to. Um, 
and the like like you guys both said about the belters um not only just displaced from Ganymede, but also now displaced from first landings they're just displaced again mm-hmm. everybody's just displaced it's a lot you get displaced you get displaced everybody gets displaced. look under your chair it's <laughs> displacement <laughs> it's the oprah of displacing um, so yeah, it's just another episode where like the title can mean like the title can mean like a lot of things and it's all really cool interpretations of the same thing. I really appreciate that mm-hmm. the titles all have like different interpretations of the same thing. Yes. Like a little bit of like I like that they mix science with like like the science the, the scientific definition which Fred and I talked about a second ago versus like the actual like the typical definitions the dictionary definitions like how the, uh, every title has played with that so far oh, me too i really like that it can be interpreted in many different ways mm-hmm. this is an english teacher's dream mm-hmm. to be able to analyze words just like the expanse can be taken many different ways like we talked about in the last episode like fred and i almost had like a fight like a fist fight across the country Oh, did you? Well, I mean, I would call a fist fight. It was like vague <clears throat> verbal fisticuffs. <laughs> I don't know how to describe Gross. it. What, the word fisticuffs? Yeah. It's this. Oh. It's like this, yeah, this like, put, come on, block your face. Like, the, like those goofy little um, turn of the century, like, rock'em sock'ems. Um, so this episode was written by Hallie Lambert. And it was directed again Yay. by Jeff W. Jeff Wolnoff, Jeff Wolnoff. Um, but yes, yay, Hallie. Big fans of Hallie. This is her third Expanse episode. I think, yeah. I, yeah, I she did one in season two called The Weeping Cenobalist. Yeah. And then in season three, she did um, Interest Seagents. What is it? Intransigence? Intransigence? I don't know. Let's go with that one. That sounds way better. I know. I like how you said it. Can you say it one more time for the listeners? No. No. Nope. <laughs> don't know what you're talking about. All right. Because um, I actually didn't know what word it was. So I still don't know. But I know. I, know, I think I know what episode you're talking about. All right. So this time we're everywhere. Last time we had the luxury of only having two storylines to talk about, which didn't keep us from talking for a long time. But this time we have we're back to three main storylines with like five minutes on Earth like we're used to. Um, So we'll start with Earth. It's the easiest thing. It's one scene. Um, So in the previous episode, we didn't we didn't really linger on this, but Amos predicted that Carol's broadcast (laughs) about taking the officers hostage would be broadcast or her video would be broadcast. And guess what? It was. So Carol's broadcast from before the hostages were freed makes the news feeds back in the soul system. Every ship around Illis has gone radio silent and no one knows why. Um, I only had one takeaway from the scene. It's that even the officer that is talking to Avasarala in this scene refers to New Terra as Illis. <laughs> Which is something yeah. we talked about before with Avasarala referring to it as Illis. When Gal was like, well, the Earthers call it New Terra. Well, yeah, see, but now even the military is calling it Illis. So, like, does it doesn't matter. Nothing matters anymore. Names just don't matter. 
cares? Who cares? Um, yeah, so was... I found it really interesting in this whole scene that they're really quick to um, put blame on the belters and the radio relay. Um, so they just can't believe that there could be something happening on Ellis or New Terra that is stopping radio communication, or there's something that's more important that's stopping people from picking up a telephone, making a phone call. Uh, so they automatically assume that everything is the belters' fault. Mm -hmm. Damn belters. <laughs> Those dang old belters. Yeah, I thought that was interesting, too, that the first thing you're going, that they focus on is the fact that, well, because the belters put out this video, it must be that the belters are trying to protect the belters. Um, right. Like, it's as if Avasarala hasn't gotten a thousand, like, hints that there might just be something wrong. Because we had a whole scene that was just her yelling at Holden for not calling her back, for playing, like, phone tag with her. And now all of a sudden, like, well, I guess it's just the Belter's fault. Like, what? Right. Like, like I mean, I guess it kind of makes sense because now nobody is contacting them. So it must be the Belter's fault, but I still don't, I still don't buy it. Like I, you would think that a Vassarala would, would know better. This... I just think that every single time she tries to do something, something burns her bridge. Mm -hmm. She's stuck in an Island and she can't do anything about it because everybody's counteracting her and she's at her wit's end. Mm-hmm. For being the leader of Earth, being the leader of such a military dominant society, like they have so many people in such a big um, military or navy or whatever you want to call it in space, the, the new space force, the you would think that Abbasarella would have spies or informants that were in the belt on Medina Station, um, keeping the back channels open. So she would have an understanding of what's going on and not just succumbing to um, best guesses or, or whatever. You, you would think that she'd be a little bit more informed as a, the leader of Earth. Mm. Yeah, because we see her getting all of these like really detailed updates. Now all of a sudden it's we don't know. And so we're just going to guess whose fault it is. Like, excuse me? Right. <laughs> just doesn't, it doesn't but track. I mean, that's a human thing. Mm -hmm. It's, it's human nature that you need to blame somebody. That there is no excuse for there not to be one person to be blamed mm -hmm. or a bunch of people to be blamed. That's, uh, what is, what would I want to call it? A faulty, like, no. A human downfall mm -hmm. that everything has to have an explanation and everybody ha or somebody has to be blamed for the things that are happening. And if Avasarala is a scapegoat or the Belters are the scapegoats, then that's good. We have an answer until the right answer comes about. Mm -hmm. Well, we'll see how long it takes for her to get that right answer, I guess, considering yeah. chaos is about to happen. Absolute chaos. So uh, on Medina, staying with like the, the shortness of, of screen time, it's easier to kind of cover it that way. Uh, cutting over to Medina. 
Drummer and Ashford are pressured by the UNN to quickly find and apprehend Marco. The UNN Tripoli will occupy the ring space following the destruction of the Sojourner and Drummer's decision not to execute Marco before. Basically waiting for them to fail. Tracking Marco's location, Drummer identifies an image of him on a belter ship called the Pazuza. 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 It's a ship. <laughs> With a name. Lots of Z's. Pizza Uza. Pizza Uza. <laughs> it's got a lot of Z's in it, guys. That's my type of word. Heck Pizza yeah. Uza. Maybe the Ninja Turtles are Zeds. On Lots of Zeds. <laughs> I love it. Um, so it doesn't have a lot of screen time, but I think it's still a really interesting bunch of scenes that we get with uh, Drummer and Astro. And I think one of the, the best lines I could use to describe this scene is... Uh, you know, during during one of the scenes, you had this uh, UNN naval. I don't know if he was an officer, but he was with the officer. So I'm assuming he's an officer. Um, you know, what looking through the window into Medina Station. And after they leave, Ashford says, you know, there's like an ancient earth saying for this. You know, they're measuring your windows for drapes. Uh, right. And then he explains to her it means that, like, they're waiting to take this over. They're waiting for you to fail so that they can have this place because they imply, well, they don't imply, they say that because <laughs> of the uh, relay going missing at Illis and because of the fact that they let Marco go, that the, U the OPA clearly, quote unquote, clearly can't police their own people. And so the UNN has to help them do it. So basically the OPA is once again not trusted by the UN. Well, okay, it might be really public, and it might be very clear that Marco is kind of doing his own thing, but Belters are not the only people that have terrorists. Like, on Earth, I am sure there is still people that defy the government, do their own thing, cause terrorism. It's just not being advertised because... Mm -hmm. It's being contained to their planet. Mm -hmm. With that many millions of people not working, there's going to be other things afoot. Guaranteed. Right. So I would also argue that Earth can't police its own planet. Mm -hmm. So in every society, there's always going to be somebody that stands apart. I think... And, and just be different. And I think the hardest... The biggest obstacle that the OPA faces that the Earth doesn't really face is that space is huge. Space is massive. Of course, it's going to be difficult to police anyone in, like, not necessarily Medina, but in the belt, which is controlled by the OPA, because of the fact that it's just so big, you know? You can't keep an eye on all these people the same way they can on Earth, where they could, you know, track you super easy. Sure, you could track people through the belt, it all depends on if someone even steps foot on a station, if someone sends out a video. It is a exactly. lot more difficult to police the belt, not because the OPA can't do it, but because space is just really big. And right. it just puts a different, it puts an unfair burden on the OPA. Well, not an unfair burden, I'm sorry, an unfair judgment on the OPA to say that they can't police their own people just because this one guy managed to trick everybody. 
they had no like I said in the previous episode how Vasarel had no way of knowing what Marco did. Drummer and Ashford could not have planned for what he did. Like they they were told a story. They believe that story. Drummer did what she felt was right to keep the belt together. Right. They had no way of knowing he lied to them. I mean, you could have guessed, but they it would have just been a guess. He just as well could have just been telling the truth and gone on his way and never caused another issue. So for everyone to like be, bet- and I understand it's because like the illest relay went dark at about the same time. But to just assume that the OPA needs help or isn't trustworthy, well, more that they that they aren't trustworthy, so they want to keep an eye on them. It isn't exactly fair because also the OPA were some of the first. They were the first ones to turn on Marco in the first place. Drummer knew exactly what she was doing when she went against Ashford and saved and spared Marco's life. She knew Marco was going to screw up again. She absolutely knew it. But because she sided with all the other factions, she can now rely on them to help hunt Marco down. Exactly. If she said no before, um, she would have been shooting herself in the foot. So she has strengthened the bond between the different factions of the OPA Mm -hmm. against Marco and his small... I want to say faction, but it's really a terrorist group. Yeah, his little cell. His cell. So, Drummer did the absolute right thing, and she has united the different factions of the OPA against a a common oppressor. So, they're going to go after Marco um, together as one OPA. Yeah, and she had said that, too. She had said, now, if he crosses... The OPA, he doesn't just cross a few factions, he crosses all of us because we all decide to right. spare him. Like, it, we, you know, we were all there for his trial. And so if he crosses the ones who decide to spare him, he's crossing the whole, the whole OPA. Exactly. Um, and so, you know, they, they do put the, the search out for him again and people are going to be more willing to turn him in because now it's like he didn't just go against, you know, two factions. He went against all of them. Mm-hmm. Right. So, um yeah, she she like, you know, it's easy enough to say that because we hate Marco or whatever, that it makes sense that we want wish that she had voted that he would die. And I wish she had voted that he would die. But story wise and character wise, it makes far more sense about the decision that she made. And she didn't make the wrong decision at all. And now she's going to have the resources of the entire OPA at her disposal because he betrayed all of them. Right. And he put them all in danger of collapse by attacking the well, UN. Yeah, so what he's done is he's um, put a wedge in between the OPA and Earth. And that is just going to grow and grow and grow until either all that war happens or until he is removed mm-hmm. uh, as that wedge. Yep. So w- with the all the different things that are happening, what's happening on Ellis and the whole... Um, radio blackout they're obviously making an assumption it is something more than um something innocent Mm -hmm. so earth has to suspect that it is on purpose it was purposefully shut down Mm so you can thank marco for that we can thank a lot of we can thank marco for a lot of things (laughs) Um, my anger issues are one of them. <laughs> I hate Marco so much. I can't wait until we get more expanse so I can finally be free to talk about why I hate Marco all the way. But it's fine for now. 
Um, any other thoughts on the OPA? I've grown to love Ashford so much. The beginning scene when he's watching the video cradling his child, it was beautiful. I thought it was really well done. And at last season, I wanted him dead. And I wanted him gone. <laughs> and I didn't get that the last season. And I'm glad because he has been such an amazing support group with Drummer. Um, and I'm really excited to see where they go because I think we mentioned it in another episode that there's almost like father and daughter bond between him and Drummer. And he was not able to see his daughter through. Mm. So he kind of gets a second chance. I think one of the things I've always said about um, Ashford in season three was that I, in the books, he confused me so much. Like, I didn't know what his motivation was. He just, mm -hmm. it sounded, it, it kind of was implied, like something went wrong and he just went kind of bonkers. But I, I w really appreciated what they did for him in season three to make him be more sympathetic and make more sense even if he was the antagonist and i did not like him and i did not like a lot of the decisions he made and things he did um and the way he treated like naomi oh man i just i didn't like that at all but anyway um I really appreciate, though, how they gave a like they because they made him make so much sense. The jump from antagonist to fellow protagonist makes more sense, feels more real and is a little more organic than if they had just like, you know, tried to like shoehorn it in. I feel like we saw that scene where they had a drink together at the end of season three and now we see them working together. Like, it makes sense because he did save Drummer's right. life. He didn't make any decisions because he was doing something bad. He thought he was do making a decision that would save lives. And unfortunately, it wasn't the right decision. Well, fortunately, obviously. Yeah. Not unfortunately, but for, unfortunately for him, maybe. <clears throat> but, you know, it saved the system to not follow his plan. So maybe not unfortunately. One of the things that I liked was, yeah, Andrea already mentioned a little bit, but the the scene where he's there with his daughter as a baby, it kind of foreshadows that later on in the episode, he's got to make a really tough decision mm. to go after Marco, and he knows that it's going to be a bloodbath of a fight uh, because they need to capture him alive. They're going to have to board his ship, and they're going to have to fight to capture him. You, you kind of get that, that sense at the beginning of the episode that something bad is going to happen. And at the end of the episode, you, you see what he has to, what is now ahead of him, what he has mm -hmm. to face. So You also kind of get more of an idea of why he fights for the belt. You know, he, mm -hmm. he fights for the world he would have wanted to give his daughter. And he kind of talked about that in season three as well. Um, you know, he isn't just doing this for himself or what have you. Like, even if he has different opinions and perspectives than Drummer, he's still fighting for the same thing Drummer is, and that's why they work so well together. Right. Yeah, a united OPA. And also, like, a lot of his perspectives on, like, what the OPA should become to, to be seen as, as and heard like they need to be by the UN and Mars, he wasn't wrong about those things in season three. 
And we're seeing a lot of those things some come to fruition. We're seeing Drummer wear a uniform with the symbol on it that she made fun of in season three that he was wearing. Right. So, you know, he 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 has really good points, even if people disagree with him. And like we've seen Drummer take a lot of those in stride. So, yeah, I like Ashford a lot. I like David Strathairn. He's killing it. Yes. He's great. Okay, so what's happening with uh, Bobby? What's what's happening on Mars? So th this this summary is short, but uh, it's still a lot of things. <laughs> so on Mars, uh, Bobby joins Isai's uh, team as as muscle. During a heist, their inside man turns out to have false information as his code fails to get them past a security door. Bobby then risks her life by going outside to climb a maintenance tower to disable the door's hydraulics manually. So, like I said, it's a light summary, but a lot more happens in that storyline than the summary uh, puts forth. Um, but yeah, we see Drummer, or Drummer, we see Bobby working her new job, and she seems to quite enjoy it. <laughs> so, yeah. this scene um, on Mars, is I have one of my biggest criticisms of the whole episode. So... First off, I don't like the fact that Bobby is working for the underground. Of course, this is something that I've voiced my concern about before. Um, Bobby's character, my eye, has always been somebody of honor. And this goes everything I think the Bobby character stands for. But that being aside, she agrees to, to do this thing where she goes outside, she puts on the suit, she climbs through and opens the door from the other side. But when they're going to do the... Or when she's going to put the suit on, um, he says that there's very little air in there. And she's like, yeah, it's enough for me. She never looked. She just assumes. Oh, uh, yeah. She's just like, I've done harder stuff before. Like, it's like, but you don't know how much air is in there. She's faced Prody. She doesn't need <laughs> to look That's true. She hand. did face a Prody. I, I thought it would have been a lot stronger if she at least looked at it. Yeah. Or, or read off a number, or, you know, just tapped into the little air feed right there and just filled it right up. Mm. I will say, on the vein of you talking about honor, like, yeah, she's doing a job that's dishonorable, but she's trying to do it the most honorably that she can. Like, she still takes Lily to task for possibly killing someone. And if you notice when she comes to in the last scene that the guard that was willing to let her die... Uh, he was not dead. They actually just knocked him out and, and sat him over there. Like, they didn't even kill him. Right. So I think it's more like, you know, she's trying to take her own destiny into her own hands. And like, yeah, it's not the honorable kind of job that she could have. But she, some she was trying to do an honorable job and they were still trying to drag her into the other underground. Like, that her boss was straight up like, yo, could you keep doing that? And like, maybe I can get a cut or whatever. So like, right. regardless... She was already dragged into this. So why not go into it, be a muscle and try to like keep people from getting killed? Not only like, yeah, these criminals, but like the people that keep, they keep getting involved with because someone has already died. And maybe if she can be part of that, she can keep them from letting anyone else die. And also I she can get some mad money. Yeah, I completely agree that she had honor and respect for the Mars that was, not mm. for the Mars that is. So that has changed, and that has brought her, I don't want to say brought her down, but allowed her to chip away at 
um, her code mm-hmm. for what Mars is now. Yeah. And, and yeah, I, I agree that she still has morals. She won't kill. She won't um, do anything that's too bad as mm-hmm. long as it's, you know, not going to go aid the enemy or something of that nature. She's right. not going to give away weapons. Yeah. As long as it's just stealing random stuff. She's like right. Aladdin. <laughs> but she really doesn't know what all this stuff is going to. Right. And I think there's a greater conspiracy that um, we're going to find out more either later in the season or going into season five. She does have that moment, too, when they're in the bar and that guy comes in um, and she tries to introduce herself and he won't talk to her. But then, like, as he's talking, she realizes that he works for the military um, or he did work. She's like, oh, you served? And he doesn't answer. So, like, she's picking up on something really strange is going on. But, yeah, she's still not asking where all this stuff is going. Um and, you know, what's interesting is that, like, the the tower that she, like, breaks into, isn't that, like, owned by the Hillman family, a.k.a., like, her, her one of the people that fought with her on Ganymede? Was that? Because I know that we see a bunch of Hillman terraforming towers. I don't remember if this was one of them. That's really interesting. I haven't actually explored any of that. Yeah, that's uh, that's a really interesting point. It was a bunch of like throwaway lines from season two when she was with Hellman, like when they would all make fun of each other. One of the things they said was that like she was inheriting like a terraforming empire or something. Um, and so like I kind of thought about it. I remember every time they brought up terraforming, I always be like, like Hellman. And I think at one point they showed a Hellman terraforming tower. I was like, ha like Hellman, <laughs> exactly like Hellman. But yeah, so there's just, right. there's a lot going on in Mars. There's also um, during the bar scene. I talked a lot about the ads in previous episodes and there was still like these pointed ads. Like they were talking about the terraforming that said water, don't waste water next to them. And then at one point there was an ad that's like, they were like, all right, go home and study up. And the ad said focus. And I was just like, these ads are really freaking me out because we, we know that the expanse has like ad trackers. When people walk by, they will pointedly target you with different ads for things that like are relevant to you. But like, they're so funnily on the nose and you wouldn't notice them unless you were like paying attention to them. It's very right. funny. The focus one made me laugh a lot. I did watch that one a little bit more just because this was what our second or third time watching this episode mm-hmm. um, to prepare for tonight's episode. So I was able to focus a little bit more on the background information that was happening. And yeah, I had to catch a bunch of those ads. Yeah. The ads are just once you see them once and you notice how pointed they are, you keep watching them. It's, like, really distracting sometimes. How about you, Andrea? Do you have any thoughts on the on the Mars storyline? To be honest, it's not my favorite. Mm. No, every single time that I see Bobby, it's just like, yeah, okay, she's just done a Mission Impossible kind of situation with bad guys. Mm. Um, so it hasn't impressed me so far. Hopefully, it just, it's kind of like the kick in the butt for her to go back to Avasarela, because I think that that's where it's going to go. Um, but aside from that, it's not my favorite storyline. Mm. Anything else on Mars before we move on? Nope. The one thing that we could talk to just very slightly, um, this goes into one of the later books. Um, there's a lot of rumors happening online that that unknown 
Um, other person that served could be Duarte. Um, I personally don't feel that that is him mm. at all, but um, maybe somebody in his circle. Yeah, I don't. I don't think it's Duarte either. I think. I think we would. Duarte would probably tell you who he is. Um, yes, because you know. It, I'm trying. I haven't reread book five completely. I know we do. You do vaguely meet him for a hot minute, but like, I don't think he would get his hands into any dirty work. I think he would keep himself distant from it. And I don't remember what episode it's in, but there is an Easter egg of Duarte. So I don't want to like detail what it is until I remember what episode it's in. Um, but I really do think if, if he's getting himself involved, he'd be keeping himself far away. Sure. And I, I think we should keep this as vague as possible just so we're not getting into spoiler stuff. Mm -hmm. But th th that was just my thoughts on that scene because we did see some of that posted online. Right. So I guess this leaves us uh, with one planet left to go. <sighs> it's another, <laughs> it's another long another boy. It's another long boy. Pray for your girl. So, Mm. We're going to Ellis or we're going to New Terra? We're going to That's Ellis. We're going to Ellis, and I need a lot of air for this one. I need more air than Bobby got. Mm hmm. Alex and Naomi contact Holden, informing him of the massive explosion on the other side of Ellis and warning of the impending effects. An earthquake very soon, followed by a dangerous shockwave packing winds in excess of 200 kilometers per hour, which itself will be followed some hours later by a catastrophic tsunami that will reach the settlement the next day, destroying buildings, destroying the buildings and submerging at least a third of the continent. With this knowledge, the settlers finally agree to evacuate the camp, but the Belters only agree on the condition that Holden call for Avasarala to support their claim. Holden's agreement to these terms further antagonizes Murtry. The explosion also activates the planet's defenses, which shuts down the fusion reactors on the orbiting ships, which will eventually cause the ships to fall out of orbit and crash into the surface of Illus. When the Edward Israel dispatches a conventionally powered shuttle to begin evacuations, it is incinerated mid-flight. Evacuation from the planet becomes impossible. Holden and the settlers alter their plan, seeking refuge in the nearby alien structure, hurrying to get everyone there before the surrounding area is flooded. Anticipating further violent conflict inside the structure, Murtry reaffirms to weigh the prioritization of their survival over Belters, including Holden and Amos. The episode ends with Holden barely managing to seal off the structure before the tsunami hits. Dun, 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 dun. Oh boy. You know what Murtry reminds me of when he's always like, you're going to be by my side and not Amos, right? Not your boyfriend. <laughs> and it's like, I don't know, like an overly protective boyfriend. <laughs> <laughs> it's like, reassure me that you still love me, right? That <laughs> you your best friend is not your lover. Yeah. So I thought it was really funny. Yeah, it was a little weirdly timed. Because didn't he also frame it like your boyfriend? Yeah. yeah, he did. Yeah, that's weird. <laughs> Is it like weird boyfriend or weird dad? We don't know. It's just weird. Um, yeah. I liked the tip. One of the tidbits I liked was very, very early in the uh, in the episode when Holden tells them what's coming and they all call their own ships to confirm because they still don't believe him. Yeah, <laughs> it's so good. So 
This whole scene starts off the exact same place where it ended mm -hmm. in the last episode. So everybody is kind of in the center of town. They're arguing over the, the hostage situation. They don't believe Holden. He thinks he's just even crazier now because he has an imaginary friend <laughs> that has stuff that comes true. But um, And then Amos, obviously, he supports Holden and says everything is what, what, what he has predicted has come true. Um, so he's obviously crazy. Um, so yeah, they have to verify it through their own own ships just mm -hmm. to confirm that what he's saying is actually, in fact, uh, uh, true. Yeah. Speaking to to that really quick, um, like the fact that they're all fighting in the middle of town. Andrew had a really like interesting observation uh, before we started recording. Andrea, do you want to talk a little bit about what you what you thought about that scene? Correction, I actually screwed up episode 33. You didn't have to tell anyone. I was trying it. to help you no, out. No, you know what? I am going to own up to my mistakes. And I know that Shannon deleted it from the last episode. Thank you. Um, <laughs> but it was really interesting that when you had the lineup of Murtry's crew and then the lineup of Belters on the other side, when Holden is trying to tell them to stop and listen to him, Amos fires a shot into the air. That could have gone horribly wrong because mm. either group could have thought that the other group was drawing fire at them and they could have been an all out war right there. Mm -hmm. um, so he must have been predicting the future and that's why Amos did a. That would have been very dangerous. Mm -hmm. The military actually has a term for this and it's called contagious gunfire. Everyone has really, really, really careful not to fire around because as soon as you do um other people will also start firing they will either think that they're shooting at us shoot back or because my, the person beside me is shooting that gives me the right to shoot as well yeah mm -hmm. and all of a sudden you're just it's a bloodbath so a very safe thing to do is to never pull the trigger and the right thing to do is not pull the trigger just to prevent everyone else from doing that and the fact that Amos is able to get away with it kind of harkens back to the where his upbringing is uh, on the streets of Philadelphia or whichever <laughs> thank you but and it's just... Baltimore. <laughs> Baltimore I'm I'm touched right. that you would bring Philadelphia into this <laughs> but it's Baltimore uh, absolutely so it, it kind of gives you that um, he, he's giving the might has right and whoever pulls the trigger first has the say, and he's trying to interrupt everyone else before um, it devolves into something worse. Mm -hmm. um, he he made a judgment call. I thought it was the wrong one, but it, it worked out. Yeah, it's a scary thing to do when tensions are really high and everyone's yelling at your boss. Everyone wants to kill each other. It's just like, yeah, I'll just shoot in the air. Like, I don't know if I would have made that decision. I would have. <laughs> Probably flicking the lights off and on in the classroom would have been smarter, but smarter play. I love that she's like critical of it, but then goes, "Yeah, but I would do that." Yeah. <laughs> I appreciate your honesty, Andrea. No problem. As always. I'm not saying I'm perfect. That's <laughs> right. what I'm saying. I would have shot. Right. Um. Another interesting bit of that is like, so Holden has told them all what has what's going on how he has the investigator blah 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 and so as he's working on an evac plan carol interrupts him and and says you brought this on us this is your fault 
which of course is Holden's kryptonite, um, ever, telling him something like death or destruction is his fault will usually like get some sort of a reaction out of him. But, um, you know, he keeps getting like hit with these. This is your fault. This is your fault. And all he's trying to do is like save lives. Um, but he, I, I, we keep going back to the whole, you know, he couldn't have known pattern with all these characters. They couldn't have known what would happen. He had no idea yeah. that something the investigator was going to go rogue and just start turning things on, you know. Um, but it's, you know, he wants I, I listened recently to the churn and they talked about um, Holden's moral code, right? How he deals with things. And they landed on the fact that he always does the next right thing. Maybe it's not the right thing to do in the future. Maybe it's not going to solve <clears throat> all the problems, but it's going to solve the problem right in front of him. And so the, the problem here is that no one's leaving. Everyone keeps yeah. saying, if we leave, they have to leave. Or we're going to stay even if they leave because they all want this planet. So he does the next right thing. Whether you agree with it or not, he thinks it's the next right thing. So when Carol says, we'll go, but only if you back our claim, Holden says he, he can't speak for anyone, but he'll do everything he can to back their claim. Not because he agrees with their claim or whatever, which we know he probably does, but because it's the thing that will get them off this planet, and that is the next right thing. And just for everybody's benefit, what is the churn? Ah, yes. The churn is uh, the official Expanse podcast. Perfect. Yes, not our podcast, the official one. See, I wasn't sure if you were referring to the official Expanse podcast. <laughs> Did you podcast know the novella was actually about Holden <laughs> and his guilt trips? <laughs> All of them, <laughs> every imagine. single one of them. <laughs> the churn is <laughs> no. really Holden's guilt trips and the endless wheel of fortune we have with them. Not, not the game How show. Many times have you read that one? <laughs> <laughs> not the game show wheel of fortune. <laughs> the up and down. Imagine. Um, but yeah, it's it's a really interesting interview. I haven't listened to all the other ones yet. Um, I don't get to listen to podcasts anymore except for ours when I edit them because I don't have a commute anymore. But I was doing a cleaning program at work, so I decided I'd sit and listen to something. Um, they're really interesting. I, I highly recommend everybody listen to anything that has an interview with a cast member, because you always get really cool insight. Um, right. Especially from Steven, because he doesn't have social media, so it's the only way you're ever going to hear anything. But um, Unless you go visit him in the bridge. Yeah, unless you go find where he lives under a bridge. Uh, so I, I really appreciate... like because. Deep down, I think I knew that about Holden, but to hear it put into words, it kind of gives you a way to explain it. But Holden's always going to deal with the issue right in front of him. And Illus is just a whole planet of issues, quite literally. Right. And so if the biggest issue he's facing is that people could die, the next right thing is to agree to something just to get those people out of danger. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yep. Even though, he, he, you know. He agrees to to her request to go take this to the UN and advocate on their behalf. That doesn't mean that they're going to take what he has to say. Right. So Murtry is being very defensive, and I guess he doesn't like that he's even giving them a little bit yeah. of consideration. But Holden doesn't really care. He just wants everybody off the planet. Yep. So he's agreed to just give them 
a little bit of what they want just to help encourage grease the wheels to get them to to get off yeah. and and save their own lives like like yeah it goes against holden's like consistent insinu like consistent insistence that he's not there to deal with their issue because in the in the books he was sent there in part to mediate like that was specifically part of why he was sent but this time he's straight up told not to not to interfere, not to get involved because they know what he's going to do. Mess it up. And so they don't they don't want to trust the politics of how they're going to distribute, not distribute, but how they're going to settle the planets through the rings. They don't want to leave that Dang. to Holden. He can't be trusted to deal with that in the books. I don't know why they thought they could trust him to deal with that to this day um and they, but they they were pretty self-aware about that as well uh, the thing is is that he you know he's yeah he said he wasn't there to deal with it now all of a sudden he's dealing with it and <laughs> murtry is just he's sensitive man he's really sensitive to this issue they all are though i mean this is what people died for um that's why carol doesn't want to leave um that's right. why lucia tells Jacob he can't evacuate in in was that the previous episode yeah the previous episode because people died people were killed over who should live on this planet who should have this planet and so you know nobody wants to give an inch and so Murtry sees this well they killed my people and now Holden's validating them it's like I understand why he's angry about it but like Who's to say Avasarala is even going to listen to him? Or as we know, who's to say Avasarala will even win the election exactly. and be the one that Holden's going to be talking to? Like, there's so many unknowns to this. And so, yeah, Murtry's not, Murtry's just angry in the moment, but we always get angry in the moment. That's always our, like, that's usually he your first to instinct. to say yes to take them out yep. of the planet. That's it. That's period. the only way people were going to go is if he said yes. So... That's um, one issue that we have um, is is them trying to get everybody off. There's also the issue of how we're going to get everyone off the planet. And that quickly is ruined by the fact that a moon starts melting after the destruction of the ship. So we don't know how what, what I really appreciated was that once again, uh, a fusion <laughs> reactor is seen as a weapon. So the planet shuts down like there's a precedence for this. We saw this in season three when they sent the fusion. The yeah, when they blew up that fusion drive and it was seen as a weapon. So the planet shuts down and everyone's angry because physics don't work anymore. But now we're also going to like melt moons and blow up melt ships. Nothing makes sense anymore on this planet. Why does anyone want to live there? <laughs> Well, okay, so first, let's back up just a little bit, yeah. um, because I think he glossed over something that was really important. Mm -hmm. um, Holden gave in to the Belters and said, I will advocate on your behalf mm -hmm. if you get off the planet. And then he goes to Murtry and says, we need to borrow your ships to get oh, everybody right, off yes. the planet, because that's what you want. And Murtry says, no, you don't get to use them, because you advocated on their behalf. You're no longer impartial. You're no longer mediator. You are unfairly giving them more right than we are right you're giving more to them than us so 
Mercury agrees to give him one ship if they agree to dump all of their cargo, everything that they came to the planet for. Right. So I, I thought that was really interesting that Mercury still, um, even to the end, would continue to negotiate on behalf of RCE. Even bouncing off that, now that you've said that, because this is in my notes, there's another reason why he's only going to give them one shuttle. He's been prepping the other shuttle as a bomb. Yeah. Yes. Which I think course. we glossed over in the last episode. I think that was something he came up with in the last episode. Um, basically, and that's probably why I forgot. The reason why he's not going to tell Holden the truth that he has turned one of the shuttles into a bomb to use as a like as a failsafe or a, an, an, an option is what he calls it. He's not going to tell him that. So he he's going to use the fact that he wants to keep them from using his equipment as an excuse for why they can't use that shuttle. The RCE only right. has one shuttle now. So, like, of what, course he's only really going to offer one shuttle, but now he's come up with an excuse. Is that Murtry is the dominant character and presence on the planet. Mm. The, the soon as they get off planet, Holden is in charge. Yep. More specifically, the Rosinante is in charge. Who has the most guns wins. And there's no way that anyone's going to be able to take out the Rosinante with what they have. Mm -hmm. So he's creating an option. He's, um, oh, what, what's that um, term where they have the, um, they use it on the city of Troy. Uh, I think I know exactly what you're it. talking about. Trojan horse? Oh my Trojan gosh. horse? Yes, thank okay. you. Um, they, they have the Trojan horse. They're... They're going to push it over, possibly over to the Rosinante, who would want to investigate, and all of a sudden it blows up in their face. Mm. Yeah, there's just... it's a lot going on here. There's a lot of, like, subversion and There's sneakiness. a lot of shady shit. A lot of shadiness <laughs> going on here. Um, so there's uh, a lot of stuff going on. Um, I, I think I also like the little so the earth when the earthquake hits, right? Um, you know, they're trying to get ready to evac. I love the little tidbit where Alex and Naomi call Holden right after the earthquake and he answers like, Yeah, I'm okay, it's fine. And they're just like, uh <laughs> no. See, we're calling about our problem. We have no reactor. We can't come down. Like, I really love that he's just like, No, I'm okay. And it's like, no, 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 it's not your problem we're worried about now, it's ours. Um and that was also the the that and the melting of the shuttle were the catalysts for why they ended up choosing to go to the um what's it called the ruins. Um, there was also yeah. a line from Mercury that I got a kick out of where when he declined to when he said dump the ore, and and Holden's like their ship is going down anyway. He's like don't underestimate yourself. We might find a way to fix the reactors. Like, it's just like every like, you know, he's because he's so known for like <laughs> fixing and saving everything. It's just like, well, don't underestimate yourself. Um, I think I think this is the point in this season or in the show that they start to realize that, hey, this is a proto-molecule moon mm -hmm. or sorry, planet. And the entire planet has been terraformed to the way that they wanted it. And the power to be able to do that is, is immense. And then you look up into the sky and you see 13 moons all in the same orbit, at the same distance away, and then you see one of them, you know, is able to destroy 
uh, a ship that's coming in. That they're not maybe moons, but they are uh, defense satellites. Right. And I think they're starting to get actually scared. Mm -hmm. And now that they can't um, transport people from the surface to, to escape, um, they're in really, really dire straits. Mm -hmm. um, so they do blow their way into the ruins, and they start loading up. You also see some RC people working together with the Belters. LV offers equipment. And mm -hmm. Jacob packs up the clinic uh, so that they have all this stuff. Some things that might be... They, you, they're in a scene with uh, Holden LV before the shockwave hits. There's a really important line where, you know, he questions why she's picking up all this stuff. And one of those things that she mentions is a pharmaceutical printer, which will probably come in handy later. Don't know how, probably will, but she says they need them. So Holden agrees that they're going to take them. Um, but before they take them, uh, the shockwave hits, which is a really creepy like thing it's just a wall of like you know dirt moving at the speed of sound and the the visuals of that room exploding around holden lv is oh, so cool it's one of my favorite shots from the trailer and i was waiting to like see it it was really good yeah i really enjoyed that scene i thought it was really really well done i think uh on the downside that maybe holden or lv should have been hurt by mm. that explosion uh they're able to walk through that unscathed. So I felt that that was a little um, untrue. I don't think that would have would have happened. Um, but I appreciate the scene for what it was. Mm. I think for the machines that LV was trying to um, pack up and bring with her, um, they explained it better in the books. One of the devices is able to make water yep. um, that they're able to drink. So... Uh, which kind of lends to the credence of why this machine is so important that they're going to all die without this thing. Yeah. Yeah. She said it really briefly in the show when Carol, when she offers it to Carol and Carol's like, yeah, pack it. Um, yeah. The stuff that she gets Holden to pick up for her very specifically is mentioned because in the previous scene, she saw stuff in her eyes. Yes. And so she realizes they might need medicine too, more medicine than, then we'll be on hand at the clinic. They need something that can make medicine. Um, yeah, she noticed it in someone else's eye, mm -hmm. a green tinge, and then she notices it in her own vision that there's a green tinge, and she scans her own eye. Something's, so something's going, going on. There. Um, there's a really quick thing I want to ask you guys about. I want to know if it's just me. I've been asking everybody because I want to know if it's just me before we move on to the final scene. There's a bit right after, you know... Right before Holden finds the child, right, the boy, the orphan, um, hunkered down, where, um, you know, Naomi calls him to make sure he's okay. And they have the conversation. I got a huge laugh out of, like, when Naomi's like, I should be down there with you. And he says, well, I'm, I feel better that you're not. And then uh, you too, Alex. <laughs> it's just like, oh, well, it was understood. <laughs> But what really, what the, the bit that I've noticed, and this happens twice in the season. We'll get to the second one in a, another episode. It's not in this episode. But there's a really weird moment where Holden and Naomi both seem to be waiting for something more Holden than Naomi. There's a really long, weird pause. And Holden says, I'm not planning to die down here. And Naomi has a really weird response where she looks a little taken aback, a little uncomfortable, and she just goes, good don't 
it's a really strange scene and I kind of had hinted about to other people, but I kind of noticed there's a pattern uh, in previous episodes where if Holden says, I love you, she doesn't necessarily respond or say it back, which is kind of a holdover from the books. It's something in the books, Naomi, uh, they very clearly say Naomi doesn't like to say, I love you a lot. She feels like it cheapens it. Um, And we haven't heard them say it a lot. So like, it doesn't bother me, but I'm wondering I'm getting a feeling Holden wants her to say something here, like wants something. I'm not sure what it is. Maybe it isn't an I love you. Maybe it isn't reassurance, but he feels like he wants something. And Naomi can feel that he wants something and either can't say it, doesn't know what to say, is avoiding saying something. But there's just this weird awkwardness here. And part of me is wondering if like, Holden because he's scared that like something could go wrong and he could die down there even though he's not planning to wants to like have a moment with her or not I can't tell what it is I kind of want to hear what your guys thoughts are because I'm not sure what it feels very it's very on purpose like they they wouldn't write it that way unless they wanted you to get something from it but I'm not sure what they want me to get from it I think it's a little bit simpler than maybe what you're trying to extrapolate from it what I honestly think it is, is Holden and Naomi have, their relationship is beginning stronger and stronger every season, every episode. And I think we're, we finally have reached that point where they are so tight that Holden doesn't want to let her go because he knows that this could be the end of his life. And he doesn't want to hang up because he doesn't want that to be his last moment. He wants to drag that out for as long as possible. So even if there's dead air in between the two of them, he still knows that she's on the other end and she can hear him and she is there. She is present. Mm. So it gives him comfort in in that moment before he has to face this adversary. So it's not about him forcing or wanting her to do something. It's just kind of like taking a moment to reflect, okay, this is the person I love and I just want to take a look at her one more time. You sometimes see this in new love when it's like, you hang up first. No, you hang up first. No, you hang up first. Uh, because they, they don't want the, the moment to end. I mean, maybe. I just, maybe. I mean, I, I know what you're saying. It's not that it doesn't make sense. It just, Naomi okay. comes off way too awkward for me to, you know what I mean? Like, it doesn't. Well, I think that it comes because. I just want to know why there's such a op- relationship. Yeah. Like, I just want to understand why there's such awkwardness there, because I don't I don't need to be right about why there is this the scene is like it, it's just a theory I had. But like right. there's a similar moment later on where it's just it seems weird. Like it's not a kind of like cute, like I can tell what the silence is thing. It seems yeah. like there's something there that I'm not quite picking up. Don't get me wrong. I think your your theory would be just as plausible. Um, he could have been waiting to hear uh, the I love you statement or something of that nature or some other words of endearment. Uh, that That is also very possible. But in, in that scenario, though, if he was waiting for those words and an awkward amount of time happened, he probably would have said it himself mm. so he can hear her say it back. That's the only or reason try why. to hear it back. Yeah. So I think that's the only reason why I would not probably go with that way and just keep it even simpler that they just wanted to stay connected in the moment. 
and just enjoy it because what's happening next could be could be the end of the relationship. Yeah. Could be the end of his I life. think I think what just threw me off is that she sounds really confused when she says good. Like it doesn't seem mm. like she's picking up what he's putting down at all. Like right. for, I I see like a hundred percent. I can see what you're saying from his point of view for that. Yeah. But Naomi's not giving that same vibe, and I think that's why I can't figure out exactly what it is because she just sounds really confused by this right. whole thing. Um. So I don't know. Yeah, I'd have to I'd have to watch it again just to see if she's preoccupied by anything else mm. that's going on um, up on the Rosinante. Maybe there is something that is distracting her. Yeah. Uh, I I just don't. I don't recall close enough to Twain any more than that. Mm. And I guess I'll have to watch the the second instance because, like I said, it, it, a similar uh, moment happens again. And I th- mm. I want to say it's the next episode, so we'll find. I'll find out when I rewatch it. Sure. If it seems as weird as that scene, but that just scene just seems really strange, but not in a bad way. Yeah. Just like a I don't get this, but I like it. <laughs> Nothing makes sense to me on this show anymore. <laughs> um but there's one like the alien yeah it's an alien world everything's alien i'm as confused as everyone else it's because fine aliens. it's aliens they have flying machines they have flying that machines that can melt things um so They're killer moons. killer killer melter moons um giant drilly things that look like teeth <laughs> make me deeply uncomfortable um so in the last scene um is um the 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 tsunami hits they they built this this door that should block the water but of course it gets stuck so who should go out and attempt to fix it risking their life in the process is of course holden and of course no no way but yeah go ahead they they grabbed the skinniest bone rat guy (laughs) to go pick up this door are you kidding me and he couldn't do it either he it was stuck it was not moving and the faces he were making was making were incredible um and it was all in slow motion so he couldn't avoid looking at any of this um but it was a really nice scene and i think what made me laugh though was um when andrew and i went to set we were taken to that room where everyone was was chilling out yeah and (laughs) Uh, the, 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 the PR person from Amazon, Morgan, she goes, she points up at the hole and she goes, you know, we shot Steven straight through there with a ton of water the other day. It was great. Yeah. <laughs> oh, right on. So to, to, I was waiting to see like what she was talking about. I was not disappointed. Um, but it was a really, like, it was still a really cool scene and seeing like Holden, like keep looking over his shoulder for the water. Like you felt the tension there and mm-hmm. like. He actually like literally did barely make sliding in. This is like the second time he's had a close call with these stupid towers that look like teeth. Cause he almost got shut yeah. in it last time. Um, but like that slide in, like was that was there was a lot of water. And he just barely made it in. Like there was a lingering shot of water falling ever over everyone. I think that's gonna be uh important. But I, I especially like that the first one to go put their life on the line for everyone else's hold. And he goes right up out that hole. He's going to shut that door. Skinny man. He's going to make that happen. I mean, he's skinny, but he's got some muscle. We saw him shirtless this season. Amos should have been the one going over there. Well, <laughs> you're right. She just wanted um, to see Amos use, use those guns. I'm not as attracted to him as everybody is. It's so funny. <laughs> but you want to see I those guns. 
I appreciate the fact that Holden, the captain, is the last one in. Mm-hmm. He's made sure that, to the best of his knowledge, he has protected everyone he can mm-hmm. as the captain, and he has been the last one to go through the door. Um, but, of course, the, the door is way too heavy for him. Yep, he's, <laughs> he has a lot of trouble with that door. Um, to be fair, <laughs> it was really close to the structure. It's hard to get good leverage when, like, there's no room for the thing to actually swing up. Oh, they could have, you know, used a pulley system. They did. Just... No, like m- multiple. Oh, oh, more than one pulley. Yes. So. Yeah. That that's how big heavy cranes work. But it was still a nice scene. I liked it. But okay, so that being said, we have this little door that they made. <laughs> it doesn't cover the whole crack. Here here comes Fred's criticism hour. This is my favorite part of every show. So, okay, they have this little metal door. It's not watertight. There's a big gaping hole. Water will constantly flow through this. This is not going to slow the water down at all. Instead of, you know, it, it might slow it down a trickle. But water is still going to flow freely through this. And there are gaping holes up above it. Well, didn't we didn't know. Yeah, we didn't know how high the water was going to be. But they also, like... They established that the actual camps themselves are further in the ruins in that room. So, like, even if a little bit of water gets in, they still could have found rooms far enough away that it wouldn't affect them for a bit. Also, the the tunnels go up and down a little. There's some hillage and stuff, so they probably could have found higher rooms that the water couldn't get, even if they got to it. Um, There's probably some wiggle room in there. But, yeah, I was a little confused as to how this door was supposed to work. I don't know. I kind of go under the impression that this tower. Okay, so I'm under the impression that the water is going to be, let's call it, 50 feet deep. Mm-hmm. So they'd have to find quite a ways up to be above the water line. Mm-hmm. I don't know. I just found it. Maybe I'm just. It's not making sense to me, but it, it seems like they don't go up that high or they don't go that far in. I I would have to watch the next episodes again just to see more while they're inside just to gauge how big this space is, mm. but it didn't seem from the outside that it was that big. Right. Gotcha. Well, anything else uh, about Illis, about the episode at all? No. No. All right. Uh, the... Uh, X-ray content, the after show focused on the OPA versus the UN, such as the OPA changing how they handle things to become a lawful society, the UN putting pressure on them after the sojourner, and good politicians versus good people who are politicians and would not become politicians either. Um, They also cover Bobby's change of occupation, like having a purpose or doing something for herself. Uh, and lastly, they talk about the explosion on Illis and how that was pulled off and that they calculated it for it to be one eighth the strength of the asteroid that killed the dinosaurs. And the other content was uh, concept art of the Israel, the Edward Israel and the shuttle, as well as the Martian rail system. So that's it Very for cool. today. All right. So this concludes... Um, the Tight Beam episode 34. Um, if you have any comments, any questions, do you agree with Fred, Shannon, or myself on things that we discussed in this episode, you can find us online 
Um, you can email us at thetightbeam at randomchatter.com. You can also find us on Twitter at thetightbeam at randomchatter. And also you can find Shannon, Fred, and I on Twitter. Shannon, where can they find you? You can find me pretty much anywhere as ShankBeezy. Fred? You can find me on Twitter at Freddy1Kenobi. That's F-R-E-D-D-Y-W-O-N Kenobi. And you can also find me on Twitter at CatsBears. That's K-A-T-Z-B-E-A-R-Z. You can also find us on Instagram uh, at Random Chatter. And you can also join us on randomchatter.com where we host a host full of shows. Um, not just the tight beam, but shows that discuss superheroes, Star Wars, and more. So uh, one of the best ways to get, you know, get noticed out there as a podcast is to have, you know, either really good reviews or lots of people talking about us. And so there's a couple ways you can help us make the both those dreams reality. Um, you can leave us a review or a rating on your platform platform of choice for listening to the type beam. You can also share us on social media. We always post uh, tweets about. Uh, our newest episodes, both from the Random Chatter Twitter and our own Twitter. We also post news and fun little insights into the show on our Twitter. So, like, it would be another way to share that we exist is to share some of our cool, fun stories and stuff. Uh, another way you can help us is word of mouth. Uh, you know, you have a lot of friends. you got to have friends who like some of the things you like. Maybe not The Expanse, though I know you're trying really hard to make that happen. Um, you can tell them about us. You can tell them about, like, us as hosts, like how, how we talk about cats too much. Um, you can also just tell them that you like the show. You can tell them all about the type beam. Uh, anything you do th to help us kind of get to more ears, we super appreciate and we hope you can help us out with. Awesome. And if you want to join our community and if you want to see pictures of our cats or any of that crazy stuff, or if you want to see any of the pictures of Shannon and Andrew while they were at set, uh, head on over to randomchatter.com slash discord. Uh, on our discord server, we have a uh, a channel for every different show that we host, including the typing. And that's where we share a lot of these pictures, different links, different stories, and all that kind of fun stuff. Um, if you want to help support the network, um, you can go to randomchatter.com slash Patreon, and for as little as a dollar a month, um, on the Discord server, you would open up all the other channels that we have. There's a lot of behind the scenes stuff, there's a lot of uh, spoiler channels, and th there's lots of good a lot of good communication going on there. Uh, another way that you can help support the network is, again, what and, uh, Shannon said at the beginning of the show, the Tee Public Store, and you can get there by going to randomchatter.com slash store, and uh, it'll take you right to our Tee Public Store where we sell all the new t-shirts and all the kind of fun stuff. Uh, last but not least, the music that you hear in this podcast is Ursa Minor by Cell Dweller. All trademarks are owned by the respective owners. Thank you. Good night.